Today, we're going to talk about solitude on the journey. You say, wait a minute, I thought the theme for the whole year was together on the journey. I thought this was all about together. And now this summer we're talking about fitness on the journey and how we do that together. And Rob has, Rob has talked to us about, you know, working out together and all of that sort of thing. But the question is, is there a place for solitude? And I find it interesting that it, that it falls my lot and a very pleasant lot to be able to speak about this. Because Ruth tells me, she says, Dick, you get your energy from people. You like hanging out with people, and some of us, when we're with people a lot, we get drained. But the others of us, we, we just say, bring it on. We like you know, the more the merrier. And yet there's this piece about solitude, and I'm saying, why am I talking about solitude? And my son-in-law, Scott Ottman, who's here today, he and his wife, our daughter, are doing a church plant near Stanford out in California. And he gave me this thought. He said, I think this is the perfect weekend to do solitude because, for you, uh, because uh, we've had seven grandchildren at our house or around our house over the last week under the age of 10. That's like the speed of light, whatever, to the 10th power. And we've done all kinds of things, gone to the pool, we've gone out in the yard, we've had this and that. We have found, they have found three frogs and three tiger salamanders in the window wells at the house. We've gone to a dairy farm and seen a calf being born and hooves being trimmed and cows being milked and... I think it's perfect that I talk about solitude this morning. I just want to bring that up. And I was thinking, what, what passage, what idea or, or, or portion of Scripture gives us the feeling of solitude? There was this man, he was a kid when he was chosen to be king in the Old Testament. His name is David. But for all of his growing up years, he was a shepherd. And then, so, so he led sheep. He was a sheep guy. He'd have a lot of solitude. You go out on the hillside all day during the night. I mean, you're by yourself, essentially, fighting off the bears and the wolves and trying to stifle boredom and all of that. Later, he led men. He led a nation. But he wrote this song. We don't sing it anymore, but we say it. And many of you are familiar with it. It's called Psalm 23. And I thought, just to start things out, that we could just read that together. So here we go. It's on the screen. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This idea of restoring one's soul is, in the original language, the word from which we get healing of the soul or psychotherapy, but it's not psychotherapy. It's the restoration of my person when I'm by quiet waters. That's opposite of being lonely. Loneliness isolates and destroys. Point number one in your bulletin. Loneliness isolates and destroys. There's a reason it says in Genesis 2 it's not good for man to be alone. The reason is it's not good for people to be alone. See, when you listen to me, I'm deep. I read it and then I say it back to you. And that's just how it is. It's not good to be alone. There are many circumstances that make us feel cut off and alone. And, and loneliness is a condition. 
Nobody chooses loneliness. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, I just think I'd like to be lonely as all get out today. That's sick. We don't do that. Okay? It's a feeling, often caused by circumstances or fear, but without question, it's a negative. On the other hand, solitude connects and restores. He restores my soul when the shepherd leads me by quiet waters. Solitude is a choice. It's not a condition. It's a choice created by desire or need. It's not a feeling. Solitude is not a feeling. Solitude is an action. It's something I can do. Okay? We talk about loneliness overwhelms me, but solitude is something I create. And without question, it's a positive. It's a positive. A theologian some years ago penned these words. He said, language has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone. And it has created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. Let me say it again. Language has created the word loneliness to describe the pain of being alone. And it has created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. Clearly the psalmist David knew what that felt like and, and how it impacted him. Clearly Jesus did. In Luke the 6th chapter it talks about him going out overnight to pray. In Luke 6.12 it says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, spent the night praying to God. When he came back in 6.13, in verse six, or chapter 6.13, it says that he called his disciples together and selected 12 of them to be his the guys who walked with him, out of his solitude came this creativity, came this capacity to make decision, came this direction out of his solitude. The Apostle Paul clearly knew this. When you read the book of Acts, it says that in the early part of his ministry, he went away for three years to Arabia just, just to, as we would say, get his head together, get his act together. But in fact, it was to get his spirit straight, if you will, to learn from God. All of them spent intentional time alone. I got to tell you, I'm not I'm not a good solitude guy. I already confess that I like to be with people. So the idea of just going by myself someplace just sometimes gives me the heebie jeebies. You know, that's not how many would identify with me in that. You you got that. You don't want to. But the idea of intentionally being with God in a quiet moment is really powerful. For me, early morning is best. I'm an early riser, so sometimes I'll get up between 5 and 6, and sometimes I'll go work out, or, but other times I'll just sit or go for a walk or go for a jog and just think and listen and talk. Elizabeth O'Connor was a journalist in D.C. back 40 years ago. She connected with a group called Church of the Savior, And she wrote several books, and one of them was called The Eighth Day of Creation. And she, her thesis was that your life and my life is the eighth day of creation. We read about the seven days in Scripture, but our lives are the eighth days of creation. I would like to just tweak that a bit and say what our title of the message says, that solitude for me is the eighth day of creation. And you say, why? Well, we have to inquire, what does solitude do? Like, what's the result of solitude? Well, first of all, solitude is a refuge that quiets 
my spirit. Solitude is a refuge that quiets my spirit. In the, in, in the noise, if you will, in the activities of a day. I mean, we've got information coming at us like crazy. Some of you are getting information on your cell phones as I'm speaking to. It's okay, I just want you to know that I know. Okay? <laughs> and, I mean, we've got all of this coming and our schedules get hurried and faster. And I called a friend years ago in Texas and said, how are you doing? His name was Tex Groff. He said, Dick, I'm hurrying so I can hurry some more. You know what that feels like. You know what it is. You, you, you think you leave gaps in your schedule and all of a sudden they're filled up. And then there's add-ons and all of this. And it's not always value added. It's just stuff added. The psalmist in Psalm 91 says it this way. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. And my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. That's the guy who catches birds in nets. The fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Well, I like the idea of his faithfulness. I get that. I'm, I'm into that. But what's the deal with the cover you with his feathers? I mean, what is that sounds like? Strange to me, he covers you with his feathers. Until I saw this picture. This picture says it all. I don't know what kind of bird that is. It looks sort of like a dove, but I've never seen a dove with those colors. If you're an ornithologist or whatever those bird guys are, if you could tell me after service, I'd like to know. But I get that right there. When I'm in solitude and Jesus says, Foth, come here. And I say, you know, I've got, he says, come here. I say, but I have all the, he says, will, will you come over? And he covers me with his feathers saying, okay, now just, let's just sit here. Let's just be. Yeah, but I've got to, let's just be. It's not just a safe place. It's a quiet place. Stillness in a world of noise is profound. I was in the mountains sometime, go with some friends and we're going along and they said, stop. I said, okay. They said, do you hear that? I'm listening. I said, I don't hear anything. And the guy said, precisely. <laughs> There's something about the stillness of a moment. See, what happens in the stillness is that you hear other things. You hear things you wouldn't ordinarily hear. It's like your brain is a radio and it's on a different frequency when you're in stillness. It's more than a pause. We have pauses in, in Scripture, in the Psalms. They have this wonderful word. It's Selah. You can read a few passages and it'll say Selah. And when I was a kid and we did devotions once in a while, I loved reading those Psalms because I could say Selah because it sounded like some foreign language. And then I got older and found out it was a foreign language. It was Hebrew. And it's, it's the word that they use to say change keys or go to the next step or take a pause or here's a grace note or something in the music. You extend that. That's a pause. You extend that. You get a Sabbath. A day when you're just quiet, you're not doing a lot of work. Or a sabbatical, some of you have had sabbatical. That's an extended sort of Sabbath. But those things you can do together. Those, those aren't necessarily solitude moments. Those are pauses. 
Back in church history, you find times in church history where people took this solitude thing really seriously and they created monastic orders. The desert fathers would go out and live in caves. And I don't think any of us are doing that exactly. And so, you know, how does it work? What happens in all of that solitude if we're not doing the cave thing and it's more than a pause? Well, solitude brings me face to face with myself and God. Solitude, being alone in, in a choice environment... Not in a loneliness environment, in a choice environment, brings me face to face with two people, with me and with God himself. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When you're face to face, it's absolutely a different environment. You know, I... Sometimes I say to people, please don't text me, do not call me, do not send me emails. This is an important issue. We need to be face to face. I want to see the whites of your eyes. I want to see whether you're smiling or not, or whether your, your eyes are smiling, as Louis L'Amour, the Western writer, would say. The smile didn't reach all the way to his eyes, one of those deals. I want to hear your tone, because face to face, it's unveiled. It's just you and me, baby. It's just this. Moses, they have this great story in the Old Testament. He goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And the glory of God is so great when he comes down, he's wearing a bag over his head. Because I mean, just because of the glory. Well, I've never done the bag thing. And most of the people I know have never done the bag thing. But the fact is that there's something about being under his wings, in his presence, that changes the dynamics in a unique way. And you can't do it in a group. And you can't do it in a crowd. It needs to be solitude. Face to face is looking at myself. You know, I got to tell you that it's okay to look at God in, in one, not okay, it's a great thing to look at God. But looking at myself, that's a different, I don't want to look at myself. I, you know, God has this wonderful way of doing sometimes what we used to do with our kids. You know how it is with your kids. You'd say, Johnny, could, are you listening to me? And they're looking at the TV or playing a video game, doing the opposing thumb thing or whatever. And, and I'm saying, Johnny, I want you to look at me. And he says, why? And so you walk over and you take his chin very gently and you turn it toward you and you say, I want you to look me in the eyes. Look at me while I'm talking to you. And I come into God's presence and I say, I've got it. And he says, look at me while I'm talking to you. See, now I can handle that part, I think. But the part of looking at myself, that's a harder part. Because when I look at myself, then I have to deal in a different way. I have to assess and we'll come to that in a moment. But looking at Almighty God in a quiet moment does things to me. An Irish monk in the 6th century wrote a tune to which he put words in Old Irish. And in 1912, Elizabeth Hull put those words into English. The tune is haunting. And you know the song. Some of you know the song. It's called Be Thou My Vision. And the tune sounds like this. And the words read this way. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me save that thou art thou my best thought by day or by night walking or sleeping thy presence my life thou my great father and I thy true son thou in me dwelling and I with thee one 
He gives me fresh seeing about my circumstance. Riches I heed not, nor men's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, when battle is done, grant heaven's joy to me, bright heaven's sun. Christ of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, thou ruler of all. Solitude does that for you. It's the place of assessment. It's how am I doing? How am I growing? And I ask myself the question or make the statement to God that the psalmist makes in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So my question is, how do you do that practically? How do you get at that in some practical way? Well, when we started thinking about doing the solitude message, Pastor Scott, one of our dear colleagues on the pastoral staff, wonderful guy, came to me and uh, said, Dick, when you do the solitude thing, I want a slice of the act. He didn't say it that crassly, but he said something that I want a slice of the action. And since he's bigger, I said, I think that's good. You know, I think so. let's welcome Pastor Scott. Thank you. It's good to see everybody. Thanks, Pastor Dick. Yeah, we in the men's ministry here, it's called Allies, and uh, we've just been talking about the power of prayer and being men of prayer and men of action. And so if you've got one of these books on the way, and just hold them up above your head in uh, both auditoriums here just so I can see. Great. Awesome. We're so excited you picked one of those up on the way in. It's a gift from us as men to you and your family and your household. And uh, the vision for this kind of just birthed in my heart, you know, back my first year on staff here at the end of 2007, had something happen to me where I was feeling pretty overwhelmed and I just asked the Lord, Lord, what do I do to go deeper in my walk with you? Well, it didn't take very long after that to kind of have that immediate sense that I needed to go deeper in solitude and in prayer. Because as Pastor Dick said, I'm not his uh, face to face with God and yourself. That was exactly me. I'm not a very good guy to do solitude well. I tried to play golf a couple weeks ago by myself. That did not go very well. Nobody got to see my triple bogeys and my quadruple bogeys and all that stuff. It doesn't go well when I'm with guys. Yeah, that's true. They actually laugh at you, don't they? So anyway, so I started jumping in the books on prayer and uh, these books, The Power of a Praying Life. It's a great series. They have Power of a Praying Husband, Power of a Praying Wife, Power of a Praying uh, Kid. They have all kinds and it's a great resource. And so we started catching on fire with these in our men's ministry and we wanted to make sure we got them into your hands as a gift, as a resource. Um, because one of the things that I did, one of the guys in our men's ministry handed me one and it was Power of a Praying Husband. Well, men, guess what? You know what I started thinking? Well, if I'm going to start being a Power of a Praying Husband, that means my wife's going to change, right? Well, I guess what? It's actually the opposite. When you pray, God changes you and then allows changes to happen in other people. And so that was a beautiful thing for me. It just really grabbed a hold of my heart. And I did talk to Pastor Dick about getting involved in this. And so we wanted to put it into your hands. On the inside cover, you're going to see it just has a little challenge. And let's commit to being a people of prayer and a people of action. Because when you pray and you're in solitude, you're going to be able to sense what God's leading you to do. So thanks, Pastor Dick, for allowing us to be part of this weekend. And if they didn't get one on the way in, they can get one on the way out. On the way out at every exit uh, and, taken and care don't of need to pay anybody or not at all no strings attached the men took care of it so it's your gift let's thank the men and scott <laughs> it's 
Speaking of men, speaking of men, let me just say a word to men. I think women generally, and please don't accost me afterwards, okay, but I think women generally have more of a handle on this relationship thing, whether it's with people or with God. You know, guys, we don't, like, share our feelings very easily. If we get upset, we go drive our cars fast or smack somebody or do something, you know. But I have a friend who works with leaders in D.C. for a lot of years, and, and he would challenge guys. He'd say, how about taking 15 minutes and just reading a psalm or some scripture? And the guy oh, I couldn't. It's so busy. I can't do 15. He'd say, okay, how about 10? He said, well, maybe I could. He said, how about five? Well, he said, yeah, I could do five. He said, well, why don't we just start with two? Why don't you just take two minutes? And the guy said, Psh, anybody can do two. So he said, okay, why don't you just take two minutes and just be alone with God, with scripture, and just... Maybe read a little psalm or a verse, maybe just two verses, and then just say, here I am, and just see what happens. You say, well, aren't you like watering it down just to say two minutes a day? you got 24 hours in the whole day. What's two minutes? Well, two minutes is way more than zero. Let me start there, okay? The other piece is that when you exercise to get fit, you don't go out and run five miles right off the bat. You walk around the block. You do it in increments, what Richard Foster calls little solitudes. I would like to challenge you, guys in particular, not exclusively to you, but especially to guys. Why don't you try it? Why don't you experiment for a week? Just do two minutes. Just sit by yourself and just read or just say, Lord, this is Charlie. And he says, I know, you know, and then you can just whatever. And don't talk the whole two minutes. Okay, just why don't you read and listen and see what happens. I just toss that out there. Okay, God will take what we give him and give it back plus so the last thing is solitude deepens my security and my understanding of God's heart deepens my security and my understanding of God's heart I uh, both here in this auditorium and in the south we we all know this I don't need to say it but everyone here is insecure we're all insecure just in different places we can do whatever we do real well, but put us in this context. I'm insecure. You don't want me to build your house. Trust me with that. I'm insecure. Okay? But God is the most secure person in the universe. He is security personified. Listen to what he says in Psalm 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am God. And then this interesting follow-up phrase, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. Let me just go with that first part, just for a moment. This this business about insecurity, and and that he is, is really critical to us. When I was a kid growing up in Oakland, California, I'm in the fifth grade, whatever that is, 10, 11, whatever it is. And I'm in my room at night. We live in a little bungalow house and on Congress Avenue in East Oakland. And it's real dark in my room. And so I used to sing songs at night, folk songs, all the church songs I knew. And then I'd run out of songs and I'd start calling my mom. Because I didn't, you know, it was just scary when it's in the dark. I'd say, Mom, Mom, Mom. You say, why don't you just get out of your bed and go find your mom? Well, when you're in the fifth grade, it's dark in your room. You are not getting out of your bed to go find your mom. Because the guy under the bed will grab your ankle. And if he doesn't get you, the one in the closet will. So we're not going there. Mom, pretty soon she'd say, what is it, honey? I'd say, oh, nothing. I just needed to know you were there. Now I'm a lot older. I don't call my mother for Pete's sake. I say, God, God, God. He says, what is it, Foth? 
He calls me Fofo. And, and I say, oh, nothing. I just needed to know you were there. And when I know he's there, then I say, I got this problem here. You need to do something. I need to do something. He says, Fofo, you don't do anything. You just be still and know that I am God. I am that I am is the most secure name in the universe. Clearly, he's not a Western God, because then he'd be I do that I do. This is I am that I am. It is the most secure name in the universe. And when you cozy up to him and he puts his wings over you and holds you close, his I amness rubs off. We have unveiled faces and we get it in that way. But what about the second phrase? I will be exalted among the nations. How does that work? How does being secure connect with the whole world? Well, apparently he does. He wrote it. I'm not just making this up. I have a friend, congressman in D.C., a friend, another friend challenged him with this whole business about, why don't you take an hour? He said, no, I don't have to. Why don't you take 15 minutes? No, I don't have He said, why don't you take just two or three minutes? Just take two or three minutes because he was trying to get him to go to a country to meet with leadership in other countries, trying to get the congressman to go. He said, look, just take three minutes and just pray and say, Lord, where do you where would you like me to go? If there's something I can do in your kingdom and help, how would I do that? And he said, just pray and then spin the globe and stop it with your finger. And whatever country your finger lands on, why don't you start praying for that country? Because all the countries need him, all the nations. He wants to be exalted among the nations. Why don't you just do that? And when he did that, it landed on Romania. And for the last 22 years, this congressman, congressman, he started praying for Romania. He continues to pray. He has gone there. He's met with leaders. He's caring about the orphans who are in orphanages. All of this, just because he took three minutes in solitude, spun the globe, stuck his finger, he will be exalted among the nations. Be still and know that I am God. When you and I get still, we get cleansed and deepened and the world is changed solitude really is the eighth day of creation would you bow your heads and your hearts with me just in this quiet moment let's just be still for a moment you might be sitting here and saying okay I'm going to take up the challenge this week I'm going to be a two minute a day person and you just you just want me to include you in the closing prayer to identify that you just slip up a hand and say I'd like to be a two minute a day person I've not done this before yep I see your hand just lift them up in the south all over this auditorium just lift them up and I'll just include you in the prayer yes I see you it's great it's great there may be some here yes I see you there may be some here who would say I don't know anything about this. I'm brand new. I'm just visiting. But I really need that bird on the branch thing. I really need Jesus to put his arms around me and heal me and make me a whole person. I don't know anything hardly. But in me, I'm feeling a drawing. We call that the Holy Spirit. I'm feeling drawn to this truth that you're saying. And I'd like to start that journey. And you just say, Pastor Dick, could you include me in your prayer? You just slip your hand up and say, include me today. Yep, I see your hand. Yes. Feel free just to lift it high so I can see it. Yes. I see you. You can put it down. It's great. 
Lord Jesus, you have seen these, these hands, but, but you've gone way beyond the hand to the hearts. Your word is true. When you say that you are a refuge, that is true. When you say you lead us beside still waters, that's true. When you say that, that when we're still, you will be exalted among the nations, that's true. For these friends who say, I'd just like to, I'd like to try that solitude thing in a new way. I'll do a two-minute thing. Bless them, Lord. Give them the, the, the mind, the memory, just to do it any time of the day. And for these who have said, I need just to start the journey, even as they're sitting where they are, let them say in their own hearts and later out loud in the car on the way home, Lord Jesus, you know me. I give you my life. I need you in my life. I want you to be ruler of all. Be my vision. We believe you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, as you leave today, if you haven't gotten one of these, please, please pick one of these up on your way out. Our prayer team is coming to be at the front here. If you'll just come as I'm speaking. If you have a particular need and you'd, you'd like prayer, please feel free to do that because... My experience is that when we need prayer at a point in time to have one or two people just be with us and just agree, good things happen. It's a terrific thing to do. So prayer team will be down here as we close. I was thinking about, what about the benediction? How do we do this? Usually I'll say, the Lord be with you and go and have a great week and the service starts now. But I just had this thought, why don't we end the service the way we started the service with the 23rd Psalm? So why don't you join me as we say it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall. prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever so there go in his grace the service starts now